This talk was given at the Monastic Conference on the Environment, Gethsemane 3. It was given by Sister Renee Brannigan. The title of her talk, Good Practices, Ancient and Emerging. I'm going to take your fumes of energy and bring them to fruition. So uh, let us begin. Uh, whenever I have fears, which is frequently, and I've had fears over the months I've been preparing this, I always take them to God. And I think God got a little tired of this as I continue to skitter toward him. And so finally he sat me down and assured me, quote, Honey pot, I have your back. Half of them have the ability to meditate into other realms if necessary. And you just need to remind the other half of RB 736. Whoever perseveres to the end will be saved. (laughs) Anyone familiar in the least with the rule of Benedict will know that good stewardship is endemic to its spirit. However, not everyone who meets a follower of the rule or appears on the monastery doorstep has actually read the written rule. Instead, they read the environment and practices. They listen to our vocabulary and tone. They observe how and what we acquire, use, and dispose. Those of us who profess to follow Benedict tremble occasionally when we recognize that we are such public, if sometimes unintentional, preachers. This is especially true when we are in buildings too big, too old, too inefficient, that we cannot simply disencumber by good intentions, and we have personal habits that we don't remember acquiring and we now seriously want to unlearn. We reach for our RBs for comfort. It is a rule for beginners, and that is indeed what we are. Every community that started out in America had the same initial plan, make do. Most communities had early days of poverty, ranging from dire to not so bad. And those were the days that were probably the most environmentally friendly in our history. Poverty makes it pretty easy to keep your ear to the ground and your face to the wind. In times when you have little, stewardship and stewardship of nature are somewhat synonymous. But as our communities built and accumulated, Perhaps we became a bit careless and insulated with comfort and convenience. The terms themselves diverged a bit. So when we spoke of stewardship, we were most likely speaking of our resources, those we had accumulated for our use and dispensation rather than those of our planet meant for sharing with all. This divergence has proven costly both to our spirits and to our purses. Now the pinch to our purses is offering a gift to our spirits. 
Many of us who find ourselves going green now are doing so because we can't afford to do otherwise. But once we are on that course, we are spiritually restored by its wisdom. And as Benedict says, we run with hearts expanded. As Bertolt Brecht says, terrible is the seductive power of goodness. The point I am making is that most of us started out environmentally friendly by necessity, strayed as we became more established and comfortable. And now I propose we are looking again to renewed friendliness out of a tight fiscal necessity and good ecological intentions, but find it more costly and complicated. Last October, when I sent out a call in the American Monastic Newsletter for those who had made ecologically driven decisions, I was not overwhelmed with responses, but I did get some good ones. I would like to preface this section with three things. First, we can assume, I am absolutely sure, that all communities embrace environmental stewardship as a core value. But the degrees to which they live that value vary. Second, I am equally sure that communities want and strive to do more. And a minor third, it is just as well I did not hear from more communities than I did because my time is so limited. And I want to acknowledge the distinct contributions I got from each of those who did respond. And so here are some highlights from those communities who opened their doors to us. The first community I heard from was the Benedictine Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, that's Sister Catherine Ann's community from Clyde, Missouri. Even with their encumbrances of aging buildings, Their commitment to preserving the planet has found expression in creative and substantial ways. Whether deconstructing buildings or small fans, the dismantling for other uses is pretty total. What was old and useless in its former life has become useful for the Amish, fashioned into art or awning, recycled as scrap metal, etc. Here, nothing is wasted is, is truer than in most places. In addition, they have shifted their priorities in the use of their land. The 20-plus acreage that they had leased out for crop income is now home to native grasses and wildflowers as part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Conservation Reserve Program, designed to reduce soil erosion and to enhance the environment. Wildlife abounds here, too. The sisters, maybe not all of them, extend the Benedictine rule of hospitality, greet all as Christ, even to the mice and bats they catch and relocate. Bats are entitled to their own lodgings because they earn their keep by devouring insects in the humid Missouri summers. 
Finally, a 289-foot wind turbine was erected on their property that benefits the local energy cooperative, but not the sisters themselves because of a federal law that prohibits switching utilities. It does meet their goal, however, of contributing to the local community and promoting wind energy. The second community is that of Sisters of Immaculata Monastery in Norfolk, Nebraska. After two years of considering their gifts and energies for ministry, they divested themselves of their hospitals and focused more on their spiritual offerings at their home monastery. They are in the process of renovating their monastery built in 1964 and one of their primary values was recycling. Of the 100 loads of debris, more than 90 were completely recycled, and the rest were partially so. The walls and concrete products were taken for use as filler for building and uh, reinforcing roads. All metals that can be recycled are taken for new construction. They have asked that in their new construction, as much recycled material be used as possible, thus completing the circle. The floors in their dining room and library will be made of cork, a natural product that does not require the destruction of trees, but merely the harvesting of bark that can be regenerated. In addition to higher efficiency utilities, They are also investigating ways to reclaim the condensation from their air conditioning units to flow into a reservoir to be used in their landscaping. Now, their goal is not only to do as little damage to the planet as possible, but also to educate and share their values with all of those who come to use their facility. Obviously, their renovation continues to be as internal as external, as their communal involvement has been extremely high. And as a PS, because beauty is definitely environmentally friendly, they installed this uh, labyrinth, or they added this labyrinth. We go to the East Coast for our third community, maybe. There it is. Whose place is this? We'll get there. Be patient. Portsmouth Abbey in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. This is Abbot Mark's community, the place where they get to take him in. This community of 15 monks has a boarding school, and they too live and teach a strong message about the environment. After doing all the usual stuff, they installed the first utility scale 660 foot, uh, 660 kilowatt wind turbine in the state of Rhode Island. Now, though paid for by the Abbey with a partial grant from the state, it was a gift to their school, a gift that keeps on giving. It will pay itself off in four years, even as it generates small revenue in the kilowatt buyback from the utility company when more is generated than is used. That revenue is put into a a fund to promote environmentally friendly projects in the school. Last fall, they completed a green dormitory with solar hot water and heat assist, heat recovery ventilation, spray foam insulation, etc. 
They are in the process of erecting a solar house designed by a local university for the 2005 Solar Decathlon, a house that is entirely uh, self-sufficient for energy. Incidentally, this was the only men's community that responded. Had to throw that in. (laughs) We come back to the Midwest for our fourth community. St. Mary Monastery, Rock Island, Illinois, and that's Sister Catherine's community. When I saw all that Sister Phyllis, the prioress, sent me, I asked if we could have their house. She said no. But they would share it if I or you came to visit. This community, and I wish you could make sure you see that, if I... um, They had the advantage, and I put quotes around this because home space is home space. Had the advantage of selecting a new location and new construction with at least some uh, funds from the sale of their former monastery in Nauvoo, Illinois. That would not be impressive if they did not make environmental choices, but they surely did. First of all, they built a right-sized place when they built in 1997. Um, they had more numbers in 1997, but they bought, you'll notice this is a uh, residential area here, they bought local houses, and then as their numbers diminished, they sold off the houses. So um, for the near future, for uh, further down the road, and they even have a gradual exit uh, strategy for this building because it's built for future use as a nursing home if necessary. This is their retreat house, which can serve as a monastery if their numbers grow so small. And, you know, so how wise is that? That just blows me. Um, Secondly, they invested in geothermal and heating and cooling using pond loops for this five-acre pond that also serves as an environmentally responsible place for water runoff, drainage, and a natural habitat for uh, fish and fowl. They put 14 acres into uh, Illinois prairie grasses and wildflowers, another level uh, 11 acres into fallow land, and 50 acres into woodlands. Within this um, monastery, they're going to install a green echo space elevator that uses um, traction rather than hydraulic fluid, which is really wicked in the earth if it gets in there. Other than using a smaller motor and uh, less electricity, obviously, it has no other payback than um, preservation of the earth. But the community deemed this worthy of the expense. In other words, this was a purely environmental decision. And here's the, this does not like me. There. These are their pond loops in the pond with the geothermal deals. And take a look at this. I could live there. <laughs> except for this. We are now on the home stretch. This is Sacred Heart Monastery in Richardson, North Dakota. And for some reason, it's my favorite place. That is one of our tournaments, and the other one is right here. <clears throat> This is in the plains of western North Dakota. We are presently in our second year of right-sizing a monastery building that is too large for our present and future numbers. As we do everything by consensus, we are moving at a pace at which we can move lovingly and wisely. Some of the hard practicalities that we've had to face are that despite our best intentions, 
we are going to have to let go of some things that are still useful, but that are not useful enough in their present state for us to maintain. We've crafted our vocabulary to articulate rather than hide our actions. We are deconstructing for harvesting rather than demolishing. We're going to have to let go of these two bedroom wings. This is a hard sell to a community that has known genuine poverty in the first half of our existence. We do not waste. Part of our dance through reality has been that, yes, we have this space and others don't and could use it, but there really isn't a way to take up a portion of a well-built brick building and move it to someplace else for somebody else to use it. And we are obviously out in the plains of North Dakota, not a large population. One of our key insights about our stand on the environment came in 1997 when Bishop Zipfel made his first visit to our monastery. As we were going around the dining room, standing up introducing ourselves and saying who we were and what we did, one of our older sisters in her last ministry stood up and said, I am Sister Jeanette Werner and I save the earth. She had taken over the responsibility of our recycling, and she took the job very seriously, and she reveled in it. But what was stunning about her statement was that she got it. She had her eyes on the goal. She also clarified for us our focus and our aim. Since the mid-1990s, we have been involved with wind energy and were the first to erect a commercial turbine in North Dakota. Now, that story is a book and movie in, in itself, complete with a cast of unsavory characters and crooks, <laughs> plot twist that kept us going for years. <clears throat> We've done our, but we had done our homework, and we knew that somebody had to take a risk for us and for all of us in our area to do something about the earth and about our rising electric rates. So we plunged. On June 16th, it will be 11 years since we began producing electricity. Yes, we have saved money, but there are greater benefits. We got a glowing report from the University of North Dakota several months ago about the 1,841 tons of CO2 that we offset in our first 10 years. Better still, much better still, are the fact that wind farms in our state, which is known as the Saudi Arabia of, of wind energy, and North Dakota, a state which is so rich in coal and oil and also so in the grip of those two industries, is finally seriously thinking about other energy sources. I only found out on my way here that we were also the first commercial turbines for five years before anybody else followed suit. We didn't do it because we were famous. We just did it because it was a thing to do, and we weren't setting any paces. But we have become more strongly and publicly uh, allied with the Dakota Resource Council and have been identified as pro-environment uh, because of our turbines. There's a Benedictine cross there. I don't know if you can see it. We've given countless tours and talks. Another smaller environmental statement we made 
was through our herd of llamas. Again, we didn't know what we were doing, but we did it. Um, This commitment God tricked us into, but it's paid dividends for us that we never anticipated. When we were first offered a couple of llamas, they were at their peak potential in return on the dollar. See, we thought we were going to make money. We had the room, the climate, and they were low-maintenance animals. So it was a no-brainer for us. Of course, right after we got into the business, the bottom dropped out of it. But by that time, we were attached. Those llamas helped us back our way into organic farming. We used, well, sort of. We used llama soil enhancers rather than chemicals in our garden. And we also sell llama soil enhancers. (laughs) We watch our language. We also spin and dye their wool, which has become quite a cottage industry for us. And several of our sisters knit, crochet, or felt items for sale. And we sell the yarn and so forth. They're a real return to the earth, peaceful animals. And it's done wonders for our spirits. They're also a great public attraction and offer occasion for teaching because they're also a a way to grow predator-friendly wool. They guard sheep wonderfully. And you don't have to kill the the their predators. They guard the sheep. So now I would like to close with five insights on American monastic practices that I'd like to state randomly, and they're not based solely on these five responders that we've had, but mostly just on what I think, which I think is worthwhile. So there. <laughs> they're obviously open for discussion or refutation. But you guys are kind folks, so you're not going to refute them. First, our hearts are good, but we're not nearly mindful enough in our behavior. It isn't so much lack of education as lack of disciplined commitment. Speed, convenience, busyness, etc. are seductive and too easily excusable. Secondly, necessity is an actual grace and God is generous with it. Necessity will prompt us to be better stewards and perhaps to take bolder risks, but the action will still have to be ours. Economics may force the decision, but the good of the environment will shape it. Third, we are all doing something, but we can all do more. But in doing so, we cannot be overwhelmed by all we are not yet doing. In an age and culture marked by speed and instant gratification, it isn't easy to see the value in bit by bit, in steady progress, in doing what we can instead of what we can't. Fourth, good stewardship of the earth is inseparable from our promise of stability. While our community is our home, Our home is in a place, and we become especially responsible for that environment and how it ripples out. We can't excuse ourselves from not knowing our land and the politics that govern its future. And fifth, because good ecology has become such an expensive venture in some of the larger, more long-term areas, it appears to create the false dilemma of conflicting with another promise we make, poverty. 
It is never enough to say, we cannot go fully green because we haven't enough gold. We need to shift the focus from economics to the deeper values of the environment and start there. We must be innovative, creative, and sacrificial. Now I'd like to leave you with this image. Think of a clothesline continuum of care and concern for the earth. To my left is less, to my right is more. When we first consider the placement of American monastic communities along this continuum, by what American monastic communities think and feel about care and concern for the earth, I think we would find most of us clustered more toward the right. When we ask the question about long-term decisions that our communities make that either affirm or don't affirm our care and concern, the distribution might be stretched a little further along the continuum. And third, when we ask the questions about our daily behavior, about what it says about our care and concern, I dare say we'll see the broadest distribution along this continuum. That would be true, I think, if you did the same exercise with each individual monastic community and with each individual within that community. That is not surprising. We will always have a gap between the desired and the real. What has not seemed to happen on a larger scale, I think, has been an ignited desire to radically change the real. We are still beginners, and our dreams seem sadly small. And yet, from these five communities, and there are many more who did not respond but are still doing remarkable things, I draw hope and inspiration from their commitment, action, teaching, and fire. These examples are graced accelerants. May they fan the flames of our desire to tend this gracious earth more lovingly.